Lobby was really a manufacturer that we borrowed $600 to start manufacturing little frames in our, in our garage. And from that point, uh, we opened our first store. And from that time to, to today, we now have 520 stores. Our sales are $3 billion. We have no long-term debt, 22,000 employees. So we really feel God's blessings has been upon our company. It is our desire as uh, the uh, owners of this company to do everything we possibly can in terms of uh, helping strengthen the families uh, of our employees. Uh, we've been through a lot of different uh, uh, schools that we give, anger management for people. We've uh, Dave Ramsey's uh, classes on how to handle your finances. We've had over a thousand individuals to take that class to help our employees. So we do a lot of classes. We have four full-time chaplains now that work not only in the stores uh, but also here at the corporate office. Of course closing on Sundays real important to us. Giving our managers a five-day work week is very important to us. Uh, closing uh, at 8 o'clock instead of 9 o'clock so maybe a parent can tuck their kids in bed before they go uh, to bed at night. We do everything we possibly can to be a help to our employees of how that they can uh, structure their life based on biblical principles. It's not something that's forced on anybody, but it's there for them if they would like. My name is Troy Cathy and I, I cook chicken for a living. I feel like uh, we're created for the purpose of giving. The secret is it's better to give than to receive, and that's something we should believe and some, something we should practice. And I find when a person do, does the very best in that work, it's fun. When you do something less what you're capable of doing, it's work. We'll never know how, what we can be capable of doing until we start performing at our best. I want to take a quick moment to say good morning. Welcome to some friends of ours. I just spotted a little bit ago the Crowders. Would you stand up? Jeff and Tracy, would you stand? Your family, I'm assuming, with you there. Would you stand? I can't see faces. Give them a big welcome this morning. So glad to have you here. Good friends, glad to have you here with us this morning. Welcome. We're going to continue our series on the Seven Mountain Mandate, and I don't want there to be any misunderstanding. If you do research on Seven Mountain Mandate today, you're going to find it associated with the New Apostolic Renewal, led by C. Peter Wagner. And I want you to know without any question, I reject almost all of the principles of the New Apostolic Renewal. So please don't compare it by that or think I'm endorsing that. Go back to when the revelation was given in the mid-70s, when God spoke to three men independently about what it would take to shape a culture or make inroads. We talked about the mountain of education that you need to show support and encouragement. We talked about the mountain of religion, the impact made by your testimony and by God's power, and the mountain of family returning to the biblical model. This morning, we're going to talk about the mountain of business, and you saw the examples on the screen of Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A. Uh, David Green's been interviewed in so many ways, and he says this, that God's word tells us when we tithe, God will bless us. His blessing is greater than what we give when we don't pay tithes. We have a lack of faith, 
and we don't believe God's word. They've been built on those biblical principles. Without the input of Hobby Lobby, $70 million was poured into Oral Roberts University to save it from being closed. A similar thing happened at North Point Bible College when they purchased the college several million dollars with more in renovations in order to maintain and continue what they have a commitment to, God's Word and training in God's Word. You'd find a similar thing with Chick-fil-A. In 2016, Chick-fil-A gave $9.25 million in charitable contributions, gifts and grants that went to scholarships, FCA, and community programs. Both of these businesses represent the business world doing positive things for the kingdom of God. Now, this morning, I'm a little uncomfortable. I'm going to say some things this morning that I don't think I've ever said before. So if it makes you uncomfortable, we're in the same boat. I'm just going to ask you to stay with me till the end of the journey. I was reading some material by Hugh Welchel, executive director of the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics, and author of a book entitled, How Then Should We Work? Rediscovering the Biblical Doctrine of Work. And here's what he says. Those of us who are called to work in the business world, that's kind of a new thought for many of us. We think about God's calling to missions and to pastoring and to evangelism and social work, but God calls people to serve. God calls people to serve in the business world. Those of us who are called to work in the business world are called to be redemptive agents of the market. If Christians are called to bring about flourishing in all spheres of life, how well are we doing in this marketplace? Do we even view the market as an avenue for the advancement of God's kingdom, or can that only happen via more spiritual means such as church and Bible study? Then he quotes Jeff Van Duzer in an article, Why Business Matters to God, who says there are three or four kinds of workers in the workplace. This thought continued in Greater Seas Christian Business for Market Smart and Spiritually Sharp Christian Business Professionals. Say that three times in your sleep. That there are four kinds of people in the marketplace. Number one, listen to this, are survivors. They have a negative view of the market. Their goal is survival. Their strategy is to create a holy huddle. So you have business people that meet with other Christian business people so they can all stay Christian. They have no interest, others have no interest in them, and they have no overall impact. The second group that they describe are the sleepers. They have a neutral view of the marketplace. Their goal is to get by. Their strategy is to be liked, and they rarely share their faith. They want people to like them because they're Christians. And they are generally liked, but their impact is minute. The third category in the business realm are influencers. They view God as intimately involved in their work. Their goal is to both share Christ and create significant value at work. They're prayerful about their work and spirit-led, actively sharing their faith. They're generally liked, but others embrace them only tentatively, and their impact is significant. The most influential group are called the leaders. They view work as an avenue for God's work of transforming people, transforming business, transforming markets, and transforming communities. Their goal is to transform the entire organization, both 
functionally and spiritually for God's purpose. Their strategy is based on actions more than words. They pray for wisdom and the Holy Spirit's leading. They are trusted leaders and their impact is transformational. Four kinds of business people in the business world as we're talking about challenging the mountain of business. Survivors, sleepers, influencers, and leaders. Goes on to say, the moral decline in today's marketplace would suggest that there are far too many Christians who are either survivors or sleepers. We need more leaders. And I would say that's true across the Christian sphere. People who see that God has called them to a place for a purpose and are believing God to use them in that area. So I want us to consider for a few moments how we challenge or influence the mountain of business. And the first thought that I want us to wrestle with is one that makes me uncomfortable to say in church. We need people who will seek to produce wealth. Oh, you can't say that. You can't say that because everyone that's rich is going to hell, right? Have you ever noticed how easy it is for us to embrace the down and outer and how easy it is for us to reject the up-and-comer? Because rich people are measured by those who have more than you and poor people are those who have less than you. And we can love the down-and-outer and then we reject the up-and-comer. And I think our whole view of wealth needs to be adjusted a bit. <clears throat> Look at what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that God said when his people came into the promised land, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant. I don't know. I know I've read that before. I don't know that I've ever seen it or it ever impacted me before. Did you hear what I just said? God said to his people coming into the promised land as a type of the church that I will equip you to produce wealth. And as you produce wealth, that will be the confirmation of my favor and my covenant with you. Now, I know I can hear it already. The love of money is the root of all evil. Yes, it is. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But poverty is not a sign of God's blessing. I grew up when... <laughs> Everybody I knew was poor. And the Son of God Church was on the wrong side of the tracks. And we, we just kind of celebrated being poor as though there was spirituality that's equated with poverty. Poverty is not a sign of God's blessing. But wealth is not a sign of God's blessing either. Neither of those are a sign of God's blessing. Godliness with contentment is a sign of God's blessing and is great gain. So we need an entirely different worldview when it comes to resources. God desires that there will be people serving him who will produce wealth. <laughs> eh, I know, you want a jet, don't you? No, I want us to understand a piece that I think has been lost to the prosperity movement. We've rejected their version of this simply because we think that it's that they're saying everybody's going to be wealthy and everybody's going to be happy and that's the sign of spirituality and they are consuming it on their own selves. But we need to come back to understand that the work of God has to have money to fuel it. 
There's only one thing holding back the vision that I have for this church. We have workers, we have plans, and I see further than we are. But if we had more money, we could do more for the kingdom. It's the Spirit of God that births ministry. It's the Spirit of God that empowers ministry. But it's finance that fuels ministry. And for that to happen, there have to be people with resources that can give to the work of the kingdom. Have you ever thought about who funded Jesus' ministry? Do you think think that Jesus cursed the fig tree and had a money tree? My mom said that wasn't real, or we didn't have one. Listen to what the Bible says about how the ministry of Jesus was funded. Women, I want you to listen, particularly those who tell you that women had no place and no resource in Scripture. We ought to read it before we say what Scripture says. Jesus continued according to plan, traveling from town to town, village to village. It's Luke chapter 8, first three verses. Preaching God's kingdom, spreading the message. The 12 were with him. There were also some other women in their company who had been healed of various evil afflictions and illnesses. Mary, the one called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's manager. And Susanna, along with many others, who used their considerable means to provide for the ministry. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all the gold and silver and oil under those hills, but he used rich women to fund the ministry. God has a purpose that is essential to the... (laughs) Some of you, you ought to see what I see up here. Some of you are going, what? in the name of heaven is he talking about that God loves rich people and is calling rich people into the work of the kingdom he used rich women to fund his ministry ministries need money I watched Trinity Bible College I'm going to tell you Trinity Bible College was about to close and my first exposure to Trinity Bible not my first but as part of the board my first interaction before I joined the board was at a general press re meeting when I was asked to meet with the new president at Trinity Bible College, Dr. Paul Alexander. We sat there in August and they didn't have enough money at that point to pay salaries or pay any bills. They had maxed out their credit line, they had no way to pay anybody, and that would have been the death knell of the school. So I made a pledge on behalf of our church that matched what our district pledged, others pledged, so we had enough money to pay the bills, and then I began to watch what God was going to do. And you know what's helped turn it around? The vision of Dr. Paul and Carol Alexander accompanied by wealthy people of affluence who believed in that vision and funded it. A single couple gave over $2 million to fully fund the prayer chapel. Dr. Paul had the vision. Many people were praying. But God raised up a couple of affluence to provide the resources for that ministry to actually take root. The same thing could be said in regard to other schools. I know of one of our schools that I can't name that is functioning every year based on the wealth of three families that keep that 
successful school afloat. I can tell you other stories, just having gotten back from Trinity, of people who gave a million dollars, someone gave $750,000, and the mission, the dream, the vision is made possible because God has given people the ability to create wealth who will use it for the building of God's kingdom. We need to celebrate that. You say, well, I think people of wealth expect too much. Listen, listen, that's poor people talking about rich people. Talk to rich people, you'll find a whole different attitude. Do you hear what I just said? Excuse me. Do you hear what I just said? That attitude is poor people talking about rich people who have never talked to rich people. You don't get rich by having a miserly attitude. You create wealth when you have a heart that is filled with the vision and plan and purposes of God. It's not everyone's calling, but it's somebody's calling. The disciples weren't called, get this, the disciples weren't called to create wealth. They were called to preach the gospel. But for them to preach the gospel, God called people who could create wealth. Is that making sense to anybody here? Deuteronomy chapter 8 gives these four guidelines. Just going to name them to you for people who will create wealth. Here's what God says. Number one, if you're going to be a wealth creator, remember where you came from. Don't ever forget where you came from. Number two, submit to biblical commands. You have to live by the word of God. Number three, praise God for his favor. It'll help you remember where your blessing comes from. And number four, consistently evaluate your faith and don't let it pull you away from the ways of God. So here they are again. Remember where you came from. Submit to biblical commands. Praise God for his favor and consistently evaluate your faith. We need people who will seek to become people who will create wealth. Number two, those people need to seek to distribute wealth. Not to hold it, not to hoard it, but to distribute it. You know the verse, what it says in Luke chapter 6, verse 38? Give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, or the King James men will give to your bosom. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you again. Why did God call the nation of Israel? To be a people that would serve him and represent him and love him, but their commission was to be a blessing to the nations, all the people of the earth, all the people of the earth. Did you hear what I said? All the people of the earth will be blessed because of you. I believe if God can get money through you, he will get it to you. If he can get it through you, he will get it to you. Blessing comes to those who, who give. A poverty spirit will never be blessed. So I'm not talking about socialism. I'm talking about sanctified resources. I'm not suggesting that we adopt a policy that we put all the money in one pot and everybody partakes of it equally. I believe you're accountable for what you bless with your money when you give it away. What you fund, you'll give an account to God for. I was teaching at the Iowa School of Ministry, had a young man standing in front of me that's running several businesses and planning to uh, get his credentials to further ministry. Six years ago, he was riding a motorcycle down a blacktop road or in town. They estimate he was doing about 104 miles an hour. He doesn't remember anything about it other than 
He remembers the back tires starting to wobble. When you're on a bike, if the front wheel wobbles or the back wobbles, you're in trouble. And those who saw it saw him wobble and hit the curb at 104 miles an hour, not wearing a helmet. He went airborne, landed on his face on the pavement, skidded for several yards, and laid there dead, no heartbeat and no breath for a total of six minutes. When the ambulance got there and they got him to the hospital, they said to his wife and family, he will not survive. And if he does survive, he will be a vegetable. He showed me pictures of what he looked like. He showed me pictures of what he looked like after brain surgery. When he was learning to walk and learning to talk, it was just six years ago. And he's standing there in front of me, articulate, loving Jesus and endeavoring to do everything he can for the kingdom. He said, God spared my life, and I want to start businesses, and I want to preach the gospel, and I want to do everything I can for the kingdom's sake with the days that I have left. He wants to be a wealth creator. But he also said this to me, I have family that's away from God. And I told my brother, if you want to get right, I'll pay your way. You can live with me. I'll fund you. I'll do everything I can to help you. And then he said, I saw what happened when I tried to do that. Nothing good happened. It didn't help him at all. Now I'm not giving him money. He can't live with me. He can live wherever he has to live because I'm not going to fund his rebellion, but I will help encourage his faith. You see, you're responsible for what you fund. Everybody shouldn't be helped. Everybody shouldn't be blessed. There are consequences for your choices. You are free to make whatever choices you want, but then you're obligated to live with the consequences. Did you hear what I just said? You are free to make whatever choices you want, but you're obligated to live with the consequences of those choices. And not everything nor everyone should be funded. So I'm not suggesting some kind of New Testament socialism, so-called. I'm suggesting that we have people who will raise wealth and use it rightly for the advancement of the kingdom. We need people to seek wealth, to, to create wealth. We need people who seek to distribute wealth. And then last, we need people who seek to leverage their wealth. Oh, I can't tell you how much I hate to hear myself say that. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, the world doesn't listen to people who aren't successful. They don't. Here's what David Green says about his money. In an interview, he said, I am no different than any of you. I get up in the morning. I have breakfast and devotions with my wife. And I go to work. And he said, I know the only reason anyone is listening to me is because I've made a lot of money. Now, you say, well, that's kind of strings attached. Shouldn't they listen to everybody? They should, but they don't. We're talking about impacting the world in the world of business. A successful, listen to me. I just want you to hear me. A successful businessman is not going to listen to someone in poverty about how to improve their business. Hello? I'm not going to listen to someone pastoring a church of 25 tell me how to grow to 2,000. Is anybody hearing me? Not trying to be mean. I'm just saying to you, don't. <laughs> don't tell me how to raise kids if you ain't never had one. I want to listen to people who have 
been there. Hello? I'm saying to you that if we're going to influence business for the kingdom, there have to be influential business people who have been called by God and empowered by God and walking in God's grace and are willing to leverage that. Do you have scripture for that? I am so glad you asked. (laughs) Book of Ruth, chapter 2, verse 1. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband. Now, who was Boaz? Boaz is the kinsman redeemer, a type of Christ. And I don't have time to preach everything about him except that he is a picture in the Old Testament in his relationship to Ruth that Jesus is in relationship to us. And it's unique. Obed is, I mean, Boaz is unique among the characters of the New Testament because he is in both the lineage of Jesus in Matthew and the lineage of Jesus in Luke. He's a pivotal character from the Old Testament to the New. And here's what the Bible says about him. He was a mighty man of wealth of the family family of Elimelech. The King James says, a mighty man of wealth. And the NIV says that he was a man of standing. Here's what we know about Boaz. He was a wealthy man who was respected in his community and had influence and standing. He is a representation of Christ. Jesus didn't come from a position of poverty. He came from a position of abundance. Jesus didn't come to give us poverty. He came to give us joy to the full and abundance of life that we would live in the fullness of all that God has for us. And this man, Boaz, has an impact representing Christ as being an influential man both in standing and in his resources. He was a mighty man of wealth. Influential people for the kingdom are needed in the kingdom. Success gives you a voice. People listen when you have a proven record. Think about Hobby Lobby for a moment and Chick-fil-A. You remember all of the hubbub over Hobby Lobby when Hobby Lobby drew a line in the sand and said, as we move to socialized medicine, we are not going to pay for birth control that is, in fact, a chemical abortion or an abortion of any sort, abortifacients. We're not going to fund those. And the government said, yes, you are, or you'll pay a penalty. How strong was their stand? Their stand was so strong that said, we will close our business before we'll pay for abortions. We will close our business. Now watch. A mom-and-pop grocery store could say that, and nobody cares. But Hobby Lobby is a big enough voice on the block that everybody has to listen, and changes were made to accept that that protected the mom-and-pop business. You need somebody that has a voice. You remember Chick-fil-A and their stand for traditional biblical marriage and the boycott that was called for? And, um, and I, I don't get into those. I'm not a boycott person. All of those things, I think, get to be kind of silly. But when it was announced that Bible-believing Christians would go to, Hobby Lo- or go to Chick-fil-A, I had to go and see what happened. And I went, and they're in line, and they're out the door and down the hall at the mall because... The voice was too big to ignore. And when the voice is too big to ignore and you use it for the kingdom, that's the blessing of the promised land. I will anoint you and confirm my covenant by empowering you to create wealth so you can use it to advance the kingdom of God. 
You need to leverage your success to be salt and light. We should desire to influence for good. We should let men see our good works so that they may glorify our Father in heaven. We need to have that kind of, that kind of voice. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich in this present world to give everything away and remain poor. It's not what it says. We go to the one story of the rich man who came to Jesus and he said, sell all you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, as though that's the model for everybody, and it isn't. Paul is telling Timothy how to disciple rich people. That means that God expects there to be rich people in the church. I can feel the tension. I can hear the little voices. Yeah, I knew it was going to come to this. You know, it's all about the rich people. No, 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 it's not. Let me tell you a place that I've been that I want to be again. Carol and I were at a meeting in Kansas City, and we went to Sheffield Assembly of God. There are two things I saw that stirred me. I saw blacks sitting with whites, whites sitting with Hispanics, and Hispanics sitting with blacks. You, you didn't have a black section, a brown section, and a white section. You saw them all integrated, loving on each other. And then I saw this. I saw a, a man and his wife sitting in, a, two, sitting in their seats, and it was obvious they didn't have much. They weren't all dressed up. They weren't all fancy. They weren't um, uh, wealthy people by any sense of the imagination. And I watched a couple come in. The man was wearing a suit and a tie. People still did that. <laughs> that. And obviously a man of means. And he sat down. The couple sat down by this poor couple that were friends of theirs, put his arm around him and thanked him for being at church. And then I looked across. Not only were there no racial divides, there were no socioeconomic divides. They were all loving each other. You don't say to the rich man, sit here, and to the poor man, sit there. You say, whatever God has blessed you to do and called you to do, do it for the kingdom's sake. And while we can love poor people, we need to learn how to love rich people because God loves the down and outer as much as he loves the up and comer, and we need to be able to welcome both into the family of God because God equips us and calls us and uses us in different ways for different purposes. So Paul says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for enjoyment. Command them, rich people, those that are rich. How many of you are, are flinching every time I say rich people? Command the rich to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. The wealth of the rich not only enable them to minister now, but set a platform for the fulfillment of eschatological events that are coming our way. He's going to use them in powerful ways, just like he wants to use every one of us, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So then, let me just, it's not one yet. 
a long time ago in a galaxy very far away. I talked with a pastor. Now, listen, listen, listen to me carefully. I have a watch that I really enjoy here. It's silver. It's got a blue face. It works really well. And I had a nicer watch, but it broke down. I couldn't find anyone to change the battery. So I bought a new one. I paid, are you ready for this? Hold on to your hats. $11.50 for this watch. I know, it was a little much, a little much. But my plastic one with Mickey Mouse hands broke down. And this, and this pastor said to me that a man in his church, and I had to deal with this, a man in his church just wanted to bless him and gave him an $8,000 watch. He's telling me that while I'm looking at my 1150 blue light special. <laughs> and I'm encouraging him because here's the deal. What he should do without all that, this is not about someone get me a new watch, please. I love my 1150. It makes me feel a little bit superior. <laughs> I'm joking. That was a joke. Some of you didn't get that. That was a joke. But that $8,000 to this wealthy businessman had no more impact on him than my $11.50 watch had on me. So don't judge them. Celebrate that God has equipped people with resources that can change the world for the kingdom of God. <laughs> right after this message, I'm going into a witness protection program. <laughs> We need to celebrate people of means. If we're going to shape Iowa, if we're going to reach around the world, <laughs> if you could only see what's in my heart. I have people I want to hire today to plant new churches in new places, and the opportunities are there, and the people are there, and the doors wide open. There's just not resources to do it. I believe that God wants to raise up people who will create wealth for the building of his kingdom. I believe that God wants to change our hearts that while we continue and will always love the broken and the down and out, and those are my people. If you knew my home and my growing up, those are my people. That's where I grew up. We didn't grow up with affluence. We need to love them. But Paul tells us we should also love and disciple those who have wealth. We'll use it for the kingdom. Here's what I'm going to do right now. I believe that God is going to raise up people in Berean and call people into Berean who will help create wealth and change the culture. God may not have called you to go to the southern tip of Africa or to the Arab world or to Siberia. He may call you to challenge the mountain of business by being successful enough that they have to listen to you and empower the church. Not empower, but fuel the church to do the work of the kingdom. 
If God, if you feel right now, oh, brother, we could give a call right now for missions and all that, and people would respond. This is, I've never done this. I want those of you who believe God's calling you to create wealth. I'm not saying those of you that want wealth. He's calling you to create wealth. You're in a place where he can use you to create wealth. And maybe you're already doing that, but you want to dedicate that to God. A business person dedicating your business to God, or you want to be a person that God's going to use to create wealth, and you're going to trust him for that. I want you to get up where you are right now and come to the front, the balcony on the main floor. I want you to come here, stand right here. I want to be a person that helps create wealth. Come on, I know you're here, and God's calling you to be a person to create wealth. I'll tell you, that's why I love what Chi Alpha does. I love Chi Alpha because they're calling the best and brightest in our university circles to be people that will be successful for the cause of the kingdom. Anyone else? God's calling you to be a person that creates wealth. I want you to come. Others are coming. I want you to come ahead. I'm going to wait just a moment. God's going to give you vision and dream, other ideas that you've never thought of. Something supernatural is going to happen this morning. And I'm going to tell you something right now. What's going to happen next is not a perfunctory prayer. I believe that I'm standing here in apostolic anointing to prophesy God's favor and blessing on your life. This won't be a prayer of hope so. It's going to be a declaration of his will. And so those of you that will agree with me, I want you to come and line up behind these. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Don't make me beg. Come, everyone else standing, come up and line up behind these. And I'm going to pray for a supernatural, wealth-creating anointing that will be used for the kingdom of God. Jesus, right now, I lift to you everyone that you're calling to be creators of wealth. I am convinced that you want to raise up an army of wealthy business people who will shape the business culture and use their resources for the building of the kingdom. Let there right now, dear God, be an anointing that will settle on them, that the gates of hell will be driven back, and there will be a power to produce wealth that will be released in them for the cause of the kingdom. Let that be the mark of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let that be the mark of living in the promised land. Let that be the mark that confirms your covenant on their lives. That you will empower them to create wealth, to shape culture, and build the kingdom. I prophesy that in the authority of Jesus Christ. And everyone in agreement said, Amen, amen, amen. I want you to put your hands together as a shout of praise to God for what he's going to do. Listen, I'm telling you, I, I'm telling you, listen to me, I'm telling you, something just happened right here. Something just happened right here. And we're going to see the fruit of that as you walk in faith, not in fear, in creativity and uniqueness of his calling to do something that will make the world wonder and will make them listen. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Shake someone's hand.
Thanks for being here tonight. Join us for prayer meeting. Pastor Kevin will be ministering tonight. Join us for the prayer time. We'd love to have you there.